Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Well, I hope you had a good rest last night because we're in for a big session here in episode number five. Hi, I'm Kent Hunter, Church Doctor Ministries founder and author of a number of books, including Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival. And I'm sharing with you this time, starting with thesis number 34, 95 Theses, for the New Reformation, the Protestant Reformation at its 500th birthday in 2017 and moving on to 2018. The subtitle of this series is A Time to Clean House. Basically, what that means is to get our house in order to really work at bringing our church back into the focus of the New Testament church and begin to feel again that great power of the church to redeem people and our nation. We are at thesis number 34, and so I'm going to start with that. If you're taking notes, I'll try to read this slow enough so that you'll be able to write it down. Number 34 of our 95 Theses is the primary platform for reaching unbelievers is relational, not institutional. This thesis continues with a second sentence. Christians should consider the question, quote, why would an unbeliever attend a worship service which has the purpose of worshiping a God they don't believe in, end quote. Now, I spoke a little bit about this during the last episode in previous theses that we were looking at, and we were talking about inviting people to church. The key to this particular thesis is that if it's not all about inviting people to church, what is it really all about? And I'll read this thesis again, and you'll notice that the key issue here is all about relationships. Relationships are everything in the Christian movement, everything. I'll read it here. Thesis number 34. The primary platform for reaching unbelievers is relational, not institutional. Christians should consider the question, why would an unbeliever attend a worship service which has the purpose of worshiping a God they don't believe in? Now, that seems to make sense. The key to this thesis is the relational part. We need to really help other Christians get this idea that there is power in relationships because most Christians and most churches operate that the power is in programs, and it is not. The power is in the culture of the kingdom, and the culture of the kingdom is all about relationships. Jesus didn't spend three years with his disciples to just load them up with a lot of teaching. It is quite clear to anybody who knows anything about the New Testament that Jesus had a very, very close and personal relationship with his disciples. If you're going to disciple anybody, it's going to be through a close, long relationship. It can't happen in a sermon. You can support that relationship in a sermon, can't happen in a Bible class. You can support that relationship in a Bible class. But if you want to disciple people, and if you want to reach unbelievers, the key is your relationship with that person. That's why knocking on doors, 
talking to strangers is absolutely an insane strategy. It's about the worst thing you could do. I would strongly urge you not to knock on people's doors and interrupt them in their privacy and tell them anything about God because you'll do a lot of damage in their understanding of God. They'll just get the idea that people who believe in God are just rude, full of themselves, thinking they can barge in and reorient my timetable, interrupt my sacred space of my home. Number 35. I love this one. I love them all, but I love this one. Assimilation of an unbeliever into the life of faith occurs best prior to attending a worship service. Now, there's another sentence to this thesis, but I want to stop there. Assimilation of an unbeliever into the life of faith occurs best prior to attending a worship service. That will blow people's minds because they have always thought about assimilation being assimilation into an institution, the church. But that's not what it's all about. So the second sentence in thesis number 35 is, the most productive environment for assimilation is a small group of Christians who develop relational connections and share their God stories. So think about that. If you are productively and effectively and regularly reaching non-Christians, if you want to get anywhere and move to the next level of discipleship and church membership, if you're going to get anywhere with that, you're going to need small groups of Christians who will have relational connections and build relationships with these people, and they will share their God stories, and people will learn about God from them before they've ever visited the church, before they've ever even thought about worship before they became believers and even wanted to worship the God that you worship. And so these small groups, we call them outreach clusters, and we have whole teaching about that. These small groups are where people are assimilated into a group from your church before they're bombarded and overwhelmed by being brought into a worship service where the group is way too big to develop relationships. This is really a key strategy. And it is thesis number 35. Let's go on to 36. The key to productive outreach is the worldview that every Christian is a missionary, one who is sent by Christ every day to every place to every person. Let's do that one again. Thesis number 36. The key to productive outreach is the worldview that every Christian is a missionary, one who is sent by Christ every day to every place to every person. In other words, anytime any Christian leaves the church building, they're on as a missionary. Now, it's really funny. We ask people, it's kind of one of the ways we teach in some of our workshops at a location where several churches are coming together. One of our teachings is we'll ask people, how many of you know a missionary personally? Raise your hands. And you know what happens. You can probably guess this. A handful of people will raise their hands and you'll ask them, uh, okay, who do you know? They'll talk about somebody who's a foreign missionary to a, another area of the world. And truthfully, what we tell them is, well, you should actually go home and look into a mirror because everyone is a missionary. Because 
Everyone is a sent person, and that's what it means to be a missionary. If you get the idea that your church is turned inside out, then you're going to get the idea culturally that you are a sent person, and then you're going to understand that you are a missionary no matter where you go. Missionaries aren't just people who go far away. Missionaries are people who go to work and are surrounded by unchurched people, non-Christians, who need to know about Jesus. And they are your church's missionary to that workplace. Because the word mission comes from the Latin, which is missio, M-I-S-S-I-O, missio, which means to be sent. John 20, 21, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me in the same way I send you. He's not talking to just the disciples or the apostles. He was talking about everybody. Just as Jesus is sent in the world, he sends every last person who wants to claim to be a Christian. You want the name Christian? You're a sent person. You're a person on a mission. Therefore, you're a missionary. Every day, to every place, to every person. Number 37. Most training institutions for pastors are contextualized to target a world that hasn't existed for several hundred years. I know, that sounds really critical about seminaries and Bible colleges. I do not have a critical bone in my body. I love people. I love people that teach at seminaries, but I love the church. And I'm sorry, but most training institutions, number 37, for pastors are contextualized. That means the context for ministry, their view of what these people are going to be doing in the world that we call pastors, that they're training, are contextualized to target a world that hasn't existed for several hundred years. That's a world where everybody's a Christian, and it doesn't include a world filled with people that are third-generation secularists, third-generation non-Christians, or Muslims. That's a different world. And until training institutions for pastors change that, we're going to be in trouble. Number 38, I'm going to keep picking on these training institutions a little more. Although I'm not really picking on them, I'm just trying to make a point, which is certainly accurate. Number 38, most equippers of pastors at seminaries or Bible colleges do not model discipleship which is more caught than taught. We've been really immersed in the age of enlightenment and the age of rationalism. We have this subtle idea that all you got to do is teach people, just load their heads with stuff, and they'll become different people. Well, yeah, sometimes it works, especially when bad teaching that leads to bad people. But the truth is, when it comes to discipleship, it's more caught than taught. You know this if you're a parent. You know this if you're a grandparent. You know this if you've watched people who are parents that have kids. If they act a certain way and then tell their kids, don't do as I do, do as I say, those kids are going to grow up and do what they saw their parents do. What I'm saying to you is it was caught more than taught. This is why Jesus didn't teach a course at a seminary, but discipled people by pouring his life into 12 guys for like three years. It's more caught than taught. Number 39, most of those who teach and train pastors place too much emphasis on academics and too little emphasis on character, Christian culture, 
and practical aspects of mission. That's kind of long. Let me read it again. Most of those who teach and train pastors place too much emphasis on academics and too little emphasis on character and Christian culture and practical aspects of mission. In other words, it's too academic and not relational and not personal. That's not everyone who teaches and trains pastors. I know there are some wonderful exceptions, but that's certainly most of them. And that's the beginning of our challenges in the church. Number 40, for every seminary-trained ordained pastor, the Christian movement, to be effective, needs 20 to 30 foot soldier missionaries equipped in a short-term, 10 months, boot camp training like SEND, S-E-N-D, all caps, North America. I'll do that again. For every seminary-trained, ordained pastor, the Christian movement, to be effective, needs 20 to 30 foot soldier missionaries equipped in a short-term, 10 months, boot camp training like Send North America. Send North America is a North American version of a um, ministry that we saw in the revival in England a number of years ago. It's still going on there and still going on here in America. We uh, use the name here, Send North America, and it has a website if you want to check it out. But it is for primarily young adults right out of high school or halfway through college or just finishing college, particularly if they're faithful, available, and teachable, not tied into a marriage or have a family or a mortgage on the house or whatever. But if they're available, young adults who become like foot soldier missionaries, and they're trained in 10 months, but it's like a boot camp training. They do stuff that right away, they learn how to go into nursing homes, go into jails, work with people in homeless shelters, be able to share their faith at the drop of a hat, you name it. All the practical things that most pastors don't get training in, I'm sorry to say. But for every pastor we train, we ought to be training 20 to 30 of these young people. Because I'll tell you what, every great movement in history, including Christianity, has had a parallel youth movement along with it. And this is what I'm talking about here. These foot soldier missionaries, right out of high school, or right out of college, trained in 10 months of intense, challenging mission and ministry. These people become missionaries. When they go into a church and become part of a staff on a church, they'll train the staff how to be missionaries. That's how good they are. It's just phenomenal. Their parents are absolutely blown away of what happens to them in 10 months. You want to reach young adults also. Nothing can reach a young adult like another young adult who knows how to be a missionary. That's got to happen. Number 41, all Christians should be discipled to discover, develop, and use their spiritual gifts. This ought to be normal for every Christian. It just pains me to find so many people in churches that have no clue about spiritual gifts. Number 41 is... All Christians should be discipled to discover, develop, and use their spiritual gifts. Number 42, we'll continue on the spiritual gifts theme at this point. Number 42, spiritual gifts define the Christian's role in the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts define the Christian's role in the body of Christ. 
I just can't believe the number of people that are recruited to do something in a church and they have no clue about their spiritual gifts. You can't possibly know what God wants you to do. You can't figure it out if you haven't learned about spiritual gifts. We have some materials and a workshop on spiritual gifts. And I just can't believe what a aha moment it is for people. And the reason I can't believe it is that this is basic church 101. It's basic Christianity 101. It's basic New Testament 101. And somehow we have drifted from helping people discover their gifts and then helping them find ministry that meets their spiritual gifts so that our emphasis is on helping people not getting some job done somewhere and using people. That's terrible what we do. Along this same path, number 43, churches should abolish volunteer programs which cheapen the work of ministry. I know that I'm going to get some pushback on this one. I know that much about churches. I know way more than that about churches because churches treat volunteer programs like they're sacred and right out of the Bible. Well, I got news for you. Jesus never said, can I get a volunteer? He never begged for people to do a job that was job-centered rather than the person-centered. It isn't remotely close to the character of the Scripture in the New Testament. So it should be abolished. Number 44, more about volunteer stuff. Number 44, volunteer efforts use people to meet the needs of the institution. This approach is foreign to the culture of the kingdom of God. I'll read that again. Volunteer efforts use people to meet the needs of the institution. This approach is foreign to the culture of the kingdom of God. It just is amazing to me how we can justify using people. I don't see that in the approach of Jesus. He never used anybody. And the tone of the New Testament is you find your gift, then you'll find your calling. You find your calling, you'll find your sweet spot. You find your sweet spot and it will bring you fulfillment. And that's what it's all about. Not plugging a hole in an institutional structure. Number 45. Now this one is long, but I'm going to just have you write the second part of it. Let me just read the first part of it because it's just an example of how we abuse this volunteer stuff. Recruiting or pleading for Sunday school teachers, for example, is not the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern is for each Sunday school teacher to pray for, look for, until they find a gifted, potential disciple and invite that person to, quote, come follow me, end quote. Hey, Joe, would you come and hang out with me in Sunday school? We've been friends a long time. You know I teach Sunday school. I've been doing it for years. You know, I could use some company in Sunday school. Would you just try it for a while? Just, just hang out with me? I'd like to show you what I do in Sunday school, Joe. All right, here's the guts of number 45. Thesis 45. This is one of the primary efforts of every Christian ministry to invite someone to come follow me, quote, unquote. It is followed by the steps of discipleship, and here they are. There are four of them, 
and then there's a last step. But the first one is, I do, you watch. Yeah, come on, Joe, hang out with me in Sunday school. I'm a Sunday school teacher. Just come on and hang out. You know, I might have you help me arrange the chairs or something anybody can do. But would you come follow me into my Sunday school class? Would you come hang out with me, Joe, in Sunday school? And as you do that, Joe, now I don't say this to Joe, but I'm going to do and Joe's going to watch. I do, you watch. Step number two. I do, you help. Hey, Joe, I got to take this kid to the restroom and I can't have him run in the halls by himself. Could you be with the class or would you take the kid and I'll continue to teach the class? So I'm going to have Joe do something. Or, hey, Joe, you've been watching me do this for a while. Next week, would you do this one small part of the lesson? How would you feel about that? You think you're ready to do that? The next step, you do, I help. Now we're going to switch roles. You do the majority, and I'll do the minor part of the lesson. And the last one, of course, is you do, I watch. You do it all, and I'll just watch you. But I'll be there. Man, you get in a mess. You get in trouble. I'll be here, pick up the ball. Don't worry about it. I'll be your safety net, no problem. The last step is to repeat the process of discipling forever. So it's very simple. I do you watch, I do you help. You do I help, you do I watch. But before all that is a step, come follow me. And after that is let's do this again, all over again. And what that means if I'm a Sunday school teacher is, hey Joe, You want to keep this class and I'll go do another one? And if you do, then be sure to look for, pray for, until you find someone to invite into your class and do the same thing I did. And I'll go do it again myself. We'll both multiply. I'm telling you this, and take this very seriously. If you were to do this for three years, you would never be out of Sunday school teachers the rest of the history of your church until Jesus comes back. You might even have more teachers than you need, and they might be able to start off-site Sunday schools and do all kinds of cool things, because that's what discipling does. It multiplies. Calling for volunteers, you know what that does? It burns people out. You choose. Number 46, Christians are given supernatural gifts by the Holy Spirit, and they are called to be in ministry. There are no jobs in the kingdom of God, only callings. I'll do it again. Christians are given supernatural gifts by the Holy Spirit and called into ministry. There are no jobs in the kingdom of God, only callings. How we diminish what it means to serve God and wind it down to a job that needs to get done in the institution Oh, Lord, forgive us. I'm serious. We're called ambassadors for Christ in the New Testament. You work for God. You are an ambassador of the king of the universe, not just an ambassador for the United States of America, which is the most amazing honor. No, you are an ambassador for the king of the universe. You don't have a job. You report to the king. You have a calling. And if you're in your sweet spot with your spiritual gifts, you have a calling to that area. You're not doing this because it's a duty. You're on fire doing this because it's a calling. The last one for this episode, hang with me one more. 47, Christians are discipled in the ministry through on-the-job equipping. I'll do it again. Christians 
are discipled into ministry through on-the-job or in-the-ministry equipping. So in other words, it's not just a class. It's just not reading a book. It's not just academic, but it's the steps of discipling a person. And that occurs not in an academic setting, but on the job while you're doing the ministry. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus called us to do. That's what works for churches. And that is no surprise. Hey, thanks for joining us this time in this episode. I'm hoping that you're finding this helpful. I know some of it's stretching. I know some of it sometimes sounds like it's critical or judgmental. It is not meant that way. I love the church. Hold up the church. God loves the church. Let's fix the church, okay? See you next time. God bless you. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.